me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. Please be seated. Good evening. I hope you've gotten one of these handouts. If not, there's some back there on the uh, silver podium. Uh, if you'll be grabbing your Bible and making your way to Psalm chapter 26, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. I say majority. That's where we're going to spend all of our time tonight. Does this Bible have 26 Psalm in it? There it is. There are plenty of times where, as you look at the Bible, uh, you can look at it and, and, in a skewed view, say, this is a book of do's and don'ts. This is a book of, of uh, uh, actions that will be rewarded or actions that will be punished. This is a book of uh, thou shall and thou shall not. Are you at a real high point in your life? Or a real low point in your life? Or a real confused point in your life? Or a real not sure point in your life? Is your life tough because people around you are just people and they're going to choose to do what they want to do? Which at times makes our life tough. The book you need is the book of Psalms. This book out of the 66 looks more at the emotional state of the writer than any other book found in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there'll be psalms in here which David will write and, and he will be very frustrated and very angry and very mad at the beginning. But really by five or six verses, he has changed what his focus is. And we'll remember how good our God is to us. We can look at this book, this Bible, and we can see three definite periods of time, that period in which God spake directly to the fathers. And those fathers uh, would speak to their children, and then everyone would follow God's law that way. We call that the patriarchal age. As we are in the book of Psalms, we're right in the middle of the Mosaic period of time during the Old Testament while God was using that Old Testament system of faith to bring in the Messiah, which is the New Testament. We move from the Mosaic period of time into the New Testament period of time. We look at those three and we, we tend to begin to dissect those and say, look at how different this one is from that one. Don't you? Y'all speak English? Somebody shake or nod or something. Let me ask you this. If they're not so different, how many sacrifices, blood sacrifices you made this year? Or grain sacrifices? 
or juice sacrifices? How much of your spices have you divided up? We look at that and we say, and that's completely different from anything we would ever think about doing. We look at God speaking directly to those fathers, especially in the case of Job, and we think, well, that's completely foreign to what we would do. In the first chapter of Job, you see Job praying for his children in case, just in case. When you and I look at Psalm 26, the overlying principle found in Psalm 26 is the life of a child of God, no matter the time period. God has expected the same thing from me that he expected from Adam. And David. And Moses. And the apostles. And Paul. And Barnabas. And go ahead and name whoever you want to name. God has expected the same thing from mankind from the beginning of time, even today. You know what he expects? Me to submit to his will and to follow it. In Adam's case, that was don't eat the fruit. In Noah's case, it was lead my people out of Egypt. In David's case, it was lead my people into the right and write some of these things down as the Spirit would give you utterance. That would be part of our memory work this week. The things that are written in this book are not written just by someone's imagination. They're written by the way these men were moved by the Holy Spirit of God to write this information down for us to live. Psalm 26, the life of a child of God. Let's read Psalm 26. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with, sat with the vain persons, neither Will I go in with the disassemblers? I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and, and tell all of thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitations of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me. Be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregation will I bless the Lord. Take for a few moments, and if you have space in your Bible to write, I'm going to give you a little outline. Verses 1, they're all going to start with O's. So for everyone who loves that kind of thing, who can remember all those, great. I can't. So here we go. Verses 1 and 2. The life of a child of God is an open life. No matter what time period in which that child lives, his life is an open life. Notice what he says. Judge me. 
I have trusted. I shall not slide. Examine me. Prove me. Try me. Test me. Look at my life. See what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. My life ought to be as David's was, as an open book before God. By the way, even if you think yours is not, you're wrong. Even if you think you're hiding it, you're wrong. Just a second rabbit on that by the way trail. If you have to hide something, you already know it's wrong. Look at my life. Judge me. Examine me. Show me where I, I might be faltering. Aren't we, aren't we told to do that throughout the New Testament? That we put our lives up against the standard of the Bible and where we are falling short, the Bible will never be short, but where we fall short, we work on those areas. It's exactly what David is, is teaching right here in verses 1 and 2. Judge me, O Lord. I've walked in mine integrity. He's going to mention that idea, mine integrity, a few times in here. And as you read through the, um, uh, the original, looking at these words, this idea is the integrity that I have that has been shaped by your law. David's just not walking however he wants to. David's saying, I'm walking in the way that has been shaped by, fashioned by your word. Because my life before God is an open life. Try me. Examine me. Prove me. Reprove me. Help me. Make sure I am walking, as we would say in the South, that narrow way. So that when I face you on the final day, you'll smile. You'll say to me, well done. That's why his life's an open life. Because he knows where it ends. That's why his life's an open life. That's why he says, judge me or correct me. Because, because he knows who he's going to stand before on that final day. Notice verse number 3. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have underlined walked in thy truth. The life of a child of God is not only obedient, verse 3, it, or verse 1 and 2 is not only open, but verse 3, it's obedient. It's not the, just the fact that David, as an inspired writer of God, writing these psalms, knows what the Word says. It's not that he's just the king and he can have those, those commands of God read to him at any time. But it is the fact that he is living that way. It is the fact that that is his duty and his main objective in this life where he says, I have walked in thy, what's that last word you have? Truth. Remember this morning? I've walked in thy truth. I've seen what your word says and I have seen really how bad I can mess things up. And it does me no good. To lie to myself and say, you know, you're the king of Israel. You can do whatever you want to. The fact of the matter is, if we're really honest about it, on this side of eternity as the king of the most powerful nation in the world at that time, 
he really could have done whatever he wanted to. But what he says is, I'm subject to a higher authority. I'm subject to a more powerful being. I'm subject to God, and I'm going to see him one day, and I'm going to follow what he says. Why? Because he's already told me what not following what he says or where not following what he says leads. Sometimes when you are studying with a, a younger person about the gospel and it finally sort of clicks with them, and you'll ask them, why do you want to be baptized into the Lord's church? And, and they may give you an answer like this, well, I don't want to go to hell. And at times we look at that and we say, ah, that's not really a great answer. And I say, well, what's a better one? And we, as we get older, what we say is, well, I want to go to heaven. Ain't that the same thing? I'm not very smart, but that's the same thing, Right? It's just perspective. Here he says, I know where not following your way leads, and I've been told where obedience leads, and I'm going to choose a life of obedience. Now, what are you going to choose? The life of a child of God is open. The life of a child of God is obedient. Look through verses 4 through 6. The life of a child of God is overcoming. I have not sat, neither will I go. I have hated, I will not sit, I will wash, and I will compass thine altar. David has a choice to make every morning when his feet hit the floor. David has the same choice to make every morning when his feet hit that, that, that nobility floor as you do when your feet hit the floor in your house. Am I going to serve God today or not? Am I going to overcome the oppressor today or not? Am I going to follow what God says or am I going to give in? I'd like for you to look for a second just at yourself and look maybe, let's look at the past week in our minds. Don't shake or nod, don't, don't, don't voice out loud because there might be something embarrassing. Did you overcome the tempter this week? Or... Were there points in times where you weren't sure you were going to make it? Were there points in times where you fail? You know exactly what David's saying. As he puts his feet on that floor, he says, My intention today is to be an overcoming child of God. My intention today is to walk in that path the way God would have me walk. Am I going to make it every day? I'm going to try. I'm going to work my hardest to make it. Does that mean I'm going to make it? Not necessarily. Notice what he says in verse number 4. I don't sit. I don't make it a practice to sit with those who are vain. I don't make it a practice to, to hang around those. Why? Because Paul would write this, that evil communications corrupt good morals. And in a version I would not tell you to read of the Bible, it will tell you this, bad friends will kill you. Now, can it be any plainer than that? 
Jesus had a bad friend, didn't he? Hmm. Tell a lot about people in general, not just the younger, but people in general, by the friends that they have. And how either those friends are influencing that person or if they are influencing those friends. It depends on how you want to read that. I'm not sitting with, I'm not making it a a practice to sit with those who are vain. I'm not going into those who are tearing things apart, disassemblers. I had a job one time where I assembled bicycles for uh, Toys R Us way back, way back when. You know what I never found? I never found a job where they said, you know, we're going to bring these bicycles in here. They're going to be just nice. We want you to just take it all apart. Does anybody have a job like that? Can I be a disassembler somewhere? You think of that idea and you sort of giggle, but that's the idea of a person just uh, systematically tearing apart what God has put together. He says, I'm not going to be with those who are disassemblers. Oh, there may be points in time in which... I have an acquaintanceship with them where I'm going through life and they happen to be at the same place I am, but I'm not going to make it my practice that every time you see those disassemblers, you see me. You know what happens when people see me with disassemblers all the time? <coughs> they put me in that group. And you say, well, they shouldn't. Really, why not? So I'm with all the time. Why shouldn't I be in that group? Well, maybe, maybe, Billy, maybe you're working with them. Well, maybe I'm disassembling with them. Maybe I'm good enough to pull the wool over your eyes. I have hated. You know, you don't read that very much within the confines of the Bible. You, you hear plenty of religious programs who will tell you that God is love and that we should love and that love, 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 love will cover everything, right? David said, I've hated. There's an interesting sermon there. Do you hate the same things God hates? I've hated the assembly or the congregation of the wicked. Those who congregate to do bad things. I don't find myself there. I've overcome those things. I've moved past those things. I'm not going to sit with the wicked. What I'm going to do is wash my hands in innocency. And that has to be hard for David. You've read his life, haven't you? (laughs) He finds himself at a very young age uh, engaged in warfare with a man much taller, much older, much more experienced than he. You know, at the end of that day where we find him, standing on that big guy's chest cutting off his head. It's a pretty good place to be. We find him leading a, a nation the way God would have him. We find him looking at a lady on her roof. We find problems within his family. We find his children acting like a bunch of knuckleheads. We find his children trying to overthrow his throne. We see him losing children, babies. We see all these things in his life. And he said, I'm going to wash my hands in innocency. David, how do you have the gall to write that? He didn't say, I'm going to wash my hands in sinlessness. 
He could have, or it could have easily been translated as, I will wash my hands in blamelessness. Did David do, ever do anything wrong? Check or not? Yeah. Did he make amends for those? Yeah. Don't shake or nod right here. Do I ever do anything wrong? Mm-mm. Will I make amends for that? Well, if I want to be right with God, I will. It all depends on how you look at it. He said, my life is overcoming. I'm going to wash my hands in innocency, and I'm going to compass thine altar. That is, <clears throat> I'm going to throw myself into worship. Even when everything in your life's going wrong, David, that's the perfect time. <laughs> when else are you going to do it? Oh, I'm going to wait till everything's great. Well, you're going to be waiting for the rest of your life. Because the adversary is going to make sure that it ain't always great and that you just can't go. Mm. But when, it, when, when everything gets right, then I'm going to, it'll never be right. There will always be something over which the adversary says, you can't do it yet. I've heard of people who would say, whenever we have enough money, we're going to have children. Well, best of luck to you. It's the same basic idea. Look at verse 7 and 8. The life of a child of God is open, it's obedient, it's overcoming. And the 7 and 8, it's overflowing. That I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of thy wondrous works. Lord, I've loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. He said, because of all these things that I have overcome because of the law you've given, and because you're opening my eyes to what is right and what is wrong, and because I've opened my life to you, then I feel it necessary to publish with the voice of thanksgiving. Use that phrase very often here in Hot Springs? No, what does that mean? How many of you are old enough to remember the young folks on the street corner saying, Extra, extra, read all about it. Anybody? Anybody ever heard that? Is it just me? Okay, thank you, Danny. We'll get some coffee later on. I appreciate that. Y'all are aware that has happened before in our nation's history. You're aware that the idea here is to, to herald forth. The, the idea here is to, to scream out with a large, a, a large voice, uh, extra bold type on the front of your newspaper. That used to be something that would come to your house. It, it's internet now. 40 font. Y'all got that? Okay, good deal. In bold 40 font script saying, I'm going to publish with thanksgiving everything you've done. Why? Because everything he has done has been good for me. He's not done anything that has not been. Imagine, if you can, a relationship that is so solidly based that everything that one does for another is only good for them. Not mostly, not 99% of the time, but everything that has ever been pushed toward the other person in that relationship has only ever been good. You want that? 
shake or nod. Oh, yeah. David says, I've got it. It's overflowing with the love and the joy that God gives me. I, I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of thy wondrous works. Who's he going to tell? He's probably going to tell those who don't know, isn't he? That'd be a good group of folks to tell. People who don't know about God and don't know about his good works and don't know how he blesses and blesses those who follow after him and encourage them to follow him. That'd be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? Shake your head this way. It'd also be a good thing to do to remind those who are already there that God is still good and he's still providing. By the way, do you know what David's doing? Preaching. That's what he's doing. He said, I'm going to tell everyone, I'm going to tell them all about who you are, about your wondrous works. It was John, just a moment ago, speaking about the factual nature of the cross, 100% accurate. Let me give you another one. If you believe the Bible, then you believe that science supports the fact that the earth was made in six literal days. Hmm. And that there was nothing, and in six days there's everything. And that the, the laws of the physical world are established within those six days so that it just sort of takes off after itself. The Bible throughout its pages point back to that. Here David is saying, let me tell you about the wondrous works my God has done. He creates universes with his very word. He sends that Savior a thousand years from now, David would say, maybe if he knew that information, to save and redeem us back to God. Not just in the process where we go and offer those uh, offerings once a year, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, that really never make us completely clean. They just remind us of ourselves being in debt. And it's not till that sacrifice on that where all of those sins are remitted. Let me tell you about the wonderful kindness of my God. Go like this. And then say, thank you. And do that every time. If you follow me, I'll give you oxygen. If you don't, then I'm... Is that God? If you follow me, I'm going to let it rain on your crops. If you follow me, I'm going to give you food. If you follow... No, no. Jesus would even remind us that it rains on the just and the unjust. David said, let me tell you about the wonderful works my God does because I am overflowing with them. He goes on to say, I love the habitation of your house. I like to be where your folks are. Hmm. A person can convince us very easily that he loves God and loves what he stands for and, and is grateful for those sacrifices and all of those kinds of things. But if you'll read in verse 7 and 8, David ain't said a word about that. 
But he does say this, I like to be where your folks are. What does that tell you? That tells me that some folks who would like me to think that they have that overflowing life of the child of God are not as overflowing as they want me to think. Sheep come to the feeding. There's a dog that lives outside of my house who a few weeks ago had puppies. If you like a puppy, just talk, we'll talk later. See me not laughing. So I try to feed them one time a week. Scrawniest little things you've ever seen. They look wormy. I, I, they may die. I'm not real sure. One time a week, is that good enough for them, Sarah? No, no, why not? One time a week seems good enough for most of the sheep in the Lord's pasture. What a shame that is. Overflowing. The life of a child of God is overflowing about the abundance of things God has done and continues to do. But we got to get moving. Nine and ten. The life of a child of God is obstructive. That one was a push. I had to come for an O word. Obstructive. Notice this, gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men in whose hand is mischief, and their, bribe, their right hand is full of bribes. Here it is in its plain and simplest version. Church, you just can't do anything you won't do. You, you just can't do that. There are some things that are off limits. The end. Well, what are they? Well, read the book and find out. It's right there in black and white. We can't act like the world. We can't do those things. Why? Because that's not who you are anymore. Taking on that mantle of slavery means there are some things I can't do. That's why the life of a child of God is obstructive. Verse 11 and 12. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity, redeem me, be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in the open place, and the congregation will I bless the Lord our God. Life of a child of God is open, obedient, overcoming, overflowing, uh, uh, obstructive. In verse 11 and 12, the life of a child of God is ordered. And it's ordered in this fashion. It's ordered, it's patterned. There are definite rules and sanctions set by God in order to become his child. Remember Galatians 4 and verse 4 and 5 we looked at this morning? Jesus the Christ was sent at the perfect time. Underneath that Old Testament law, sent of a woman in order to adopt us into God's family as his sons and daughters. You can't just be a part of the family without some sort of rules and regulations. And it's the fact that God has said for us today that if you want to be in my family, hear what I have to say and, and do those things. Repent of your sin. Confess that Jesus is the Christ and be baptized, having your sins washed away. 
That's for everybody who doesn't have a lot of bad sin, right? Look at verse number 12. I stand at an even place. The ground around the cross as it's put into the ground where our Savior died. That ground's all even. There's no high ground there. One sinner just like another one. But you can have those things remitted. You can have those things washed away. You can access that blood that was shed on that cross this night. You can be his child and his family tonight. You can start living that life uh, that David spoke about in Psalm chapter 26. And it may be the fact that you've already done those things. And the life of the child of God that you're living is not nearly as ordered as God wants it to be. That ground there is still the same. There's still no high ground. If you're not a member of God's church that's bought with the blood of Jesus the Christ tonight, let me ask you, why not? And if you're not living an ordered, faithful life to Him, let me ask you this, brother or sister, why not? What are you waiting for? Come back home right now while we stand and sing.